Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 3 of The Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder. I am your special guest, Jeff Snyder. I don't have anybody today. I think I'm going to try to fly solo. Uh, There's plenty of stuff to talk about, though, so I think that I can fill the whole hour. If not, we'll come close. You guys will enjoy it. Where do we want to start? Let's start with this new Taika Waititi project because it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, And it was originally reported to be the secretive top secret project. And then the next day, Deadline came in and said that it's actually a narrative remake of this 2014 documentary called Next Goal Wins, which is about a Dutch soccer coach who tries to turn a Samoan team from a, a group of like perennial losers into winners. I mean, it's a, basically the Mighty Ducks with soccer instead of hockey. Uh, and I guess you could call that the Big Green, but um, I, it sounds more Mighty Ducks-ish. And I think it's you know probably a personal project for Taika Waititi. Um, uh, and yeah, it's over at Fox Searchlight. So this is kind of coming out of nowhere because Taika is going to be going into production in early 2020 on Thor uh, Love and Thunder. Man, I'm still getting used to that title. Uh, so he's going to try to sneak this one into the in the fall. It's funny because when I heard that Taika was doing a Fox Searchlight secret movie, I thought it might be a remake of The War of the Roses that I heard that he might be doing with uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch and Olivia Colman. But I was under the impression that that is going after Thor, and it still might. Who knows? But Taika clearly has a relationship with, uh, with Searchlight, which is putting out Jojo Rabbit this fall. And uh, this one, Next Goal Wins, I think it sounds pretty interesting. I think soccer is blowing up. I mean, I, I think we've been hearing that for like 10, 15 years at this point. I remember when I was a teenager and it was like, oh, yes, uh, soccer is going to be the, the the next big thing in America. You know, I, I, I don't know if it is that, but I certainly see it here in the office at Collider, um, the, the excitement that I maybe was ignorant to before. And uh, the idea of doing a soccer movie, something with Taika Waititi, who has a really great you know, flair and, and sense of energy, and uh, I, I think he could kind of crush it, so... That one is interesting. Andy Serkis, directing Venom 2. He actually got the job. I think he was sort of positioned as the frontrunner. He was the name who came out first, uh, along with Rupert Wyatt and Travis Knight. I, I think that they probably got the right man for the job here, Andy Serkis, given you know all of his um, experience uh, you know, doing that kind of acting, the, 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 mo- the mocap stuff. I think it's kind of perfect for, for Venom. And the idea of Andy Serkis and Tom Hardy, it's like a lot of testosterone on on one set. I mean, part of me wants to think of like Andy Serkis as like this kind of weird little guy who who plays Gollum and, and Caesar. But part of me thinks of him as, you know, Ulysses Claw from uh, the MCU. And, and he's like this jacked kind of dude. Um, I wonder if he could end up putting like a, a role for himself into this movie. That would be kind of interesting to see Andy Serkis in Venom 2. Um, I know Tom Hardy, vo- he voiced the, the mutant, right? He actually voiced Venom the last time. Uh, I wonder if Andy Serkis could actually do a better job with that. Might be a little bit uh, jarring. But, uh, yeah, Andy Serkis, he also has that Animal Farm movie. I feel like he's been developing for years. I have no idea what is going on with that over at Netflix. I hope we see it sooner rather than later because I always liked that book. Uh, let's move on to The Eternals. 
casting some big names this week, including Gemma Chan from uh, Crazy Rich Asians and Captain Marvel, in which she played Minerva, along with Barry Cogan, uh, who we broke here at Collider. He is from Dunkirk, obviously. We just saw him in Chernobyl. Uh, I loved him in The Killing of a Sacred Deer and American Animals. Those are two of my uh, favorite films in, in their respective years. Barry Cogan, someone who I have been, I don't know, advocating for and championing uh, for a while now. I, I thought that he would kind of make a great Wolverine because I know, you know, he may be a little dude, but he's he's a fighter. He's like a real scrapper. Uh, I follow him on on Instagram. He's like a, a bit of like a an Irish boxer. He, he'd be like good as like One Punch Mickey in a remake of Snatch. Um, but anyways, he I don't know what role he's playing in the Eternals, and I don't know what role Jem Chan's playing either. I mean, some people have said that she's going to be playing the lead of Cersei. Um, all right, because Angelina's playing somebody else. I thought we all thought that Angelina was going to be playing Cersei. I don't think that's the case. I forget off the top of my head what uh, the name of her character was. But um, but yeah, Gemma Chan could be playing that lead role or. Maybe she's coming back as Minerva. I don't know. You know, that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, I think it would kind of it'd be interesting to link Captain Marvel, given all the cosmic stuff and what I understand the Eternals to be. Um, you know, Gemma Chan didn't make the greatest. She didn't really stand out to me in Crazy Rich Asians. I think that she was kind of overshadowed by some of her co-stars. Obviously, that was a large ensemble, as Eternals will be, a large star-studded uh, ensemble again. Maybe that's where Hollywood thinks that she fits best. Um, it'll be interesting to see if she takes on any sort of leading lady roles or if this, in fact, proves to be one. Uh, but I like Barry Hogan a lot uh, as far as joining the MCU um, let me know out there what your favorite Barry Cogan performance is, whether it is The Killing of a Sacred Deer or something uh, you know, that's a little bit smaller, uh, more you know, l- less creepy, I suppose, like Dunkirk or, or Chernobyl. Um, I want to talk about these overall deals. Lord and Miller, Phil Lord and Chris Miller doing a uh, first look over, uh, overall deal with um, Universal. And, ba- and Benioff and Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, they did a first look deal with Netflix. Now, Benioff and Weiss's deal is worth $200 million. That seems like a lot. I mean, I, like especially if they're doing the Star Wars movie. Uh, which they are directing, you know, they're just producing and, and writing it. But I mean, I imagine they're going to be needed on set for a while. I just don't know what Netflix is getting for this two hundred million dollars. It's not like Benioff and Weiss created a Game of Thrones. Like, I mean, I guess they're the creators of the TV show in that sense, but they didn't create that world. And so I'm curious: do they? Does Netflix think it's going to get the next Game of Thrones? Is that what they're sort of expecting from these guys? Uh, Benioff was, was a, a really good, you know, screenwriter. He was always strong. Um, you know, I, I wish that he would sort of return to doing solo stuff. I don't know, you know, if him and Weiss will be this long creative collaboration, or if they're just sort of sticking together after a successful partnership on on Game of Thrones, uh, which I didn't even watch. So I don't really have. I'm not like the guy who's like, oh, Benioff and Weiss, they screwed Game of Thrones because the end was bad. Um, I really, I didn't even watch the end. I don't care what happened. Uh, but yeah, as far as a $200 million deals with Netflix, I mean, are they worth it? I don't know. It seems steep. I don't, I mean, Netflix is obviously used to overpaying for, for people. I just don't understand this wave of overall deals to begin with. I know every, like it's a, it's an arms race now with, uh, with the streaming wars and everybody is trying to get that A-list talent for themselves and Benioff and Weiss are obviously big names. You know, Game of Thrones, there wasn't a bigger TV series over the last few years. But uh, I, I think that that's just more the property. Um, 
So it'll be interesting to see whether Netflix gets its $200 million worth. A better deal, I think, is Universal's deal for Lord & Miller. Uh, I don't know what this was valued at. It is in the nine figures, whether that's $100 million or $300 million, I don't know. It's probably not the $500 million that J.J. Abrams got. But Lord & Miller, those are guys who they're just unique. They're unique in the marketplace, and they, and they have shown that they can do it in various uh, – you know, mediums. They can do live action the way that they reinvented Jump Street. They can do animation. They just, they're coming off an Oscar win for uh, the Spider-Verse movie. Like, that is just a very wise investment. I know that Universal Universal doesn't have, like, their TV stuff. I think that's somewhere else. Um, But Universal needs, you know, people like Lord Miller, who, like, Universal's great at making comedies. Lord Miller's are good at making comedies. I think they're interested in trying different genres. Like, imagine if if they were able to team up uh, and direct, like, a Blumhouse movie or something. You know, if Blumhouse got the rights to some top title, like a Halloween, and they gave it to Lord Miller. If you got Lord Miller's Friday the 13th or something like that. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, Universal being in business with uh, with those guys, having them under that roof, I think, will pay off. Uh, again, I don't know what the figure is, but uh, let's talk about David Ayer signing on to yet another tank movie over at Universal. It's called El Alamine. I did a little history uh, lesson. I did a little Wikipedia searching. Uh, the story itself is actually pretty interesting. It's uh, two different tank battles, one that happened in July, one that happened in late October to early November. Uh, in northern Africa, in Egypt, uh, around this like you know train station essentially, and uh, and yeah, tank stuff went down. It was a bloody battle. There were tens, you know, ten thousand deaths or something like that. Um, I, I just don't know why David Ayer would want to repeat himself. I mean, Fury was pretty good. I liked Fury. It's not a movie I've necessarily revisited in a while, but uh, I thought he did a great job casting that movie. It was just like this. You know, this throwback to these movies of, you know, the war movies of the 50s and 60s. And it was like this macho men on a mission movie. And I and I dug it. But it's like he's been there and done that. And I don't know why he'd want to do it again. Maybe he's having trouble landing a, a studio gig. I know he just went off and did an indie called The Tax Collector that features a tatted up Shia LaBeouf and looks awesome. I can't wait to see it. Um, but, yeah, he's coming off of Bright and Suicide Squad, which are two of the worst movies I've seen in recent memory. So, you know, maybe he's just going back to the well because, you know, it's a safe choice for him. The same thing with Lionsgate. It's like I understand wanting to hire David Ayer because, look, the guy proved he did it. Uh, He did it before. He can do it again. Um, But it doesn't show any – it's like a lazy choice. It doesn't show any, like, real creativity. It's like, oh, uh, we're making a tank movie here? Well, what about that guy who did the last tank movie? Um I just – I don't know. I would have liked to maybe see this in a younger filmmaker's hands, in a female filmmaker's hands. There aren't – you know, war – the war movies are sort of uh, given exclusively to men, and it would be very interesting to see a woman's perspective on the war movie. Uh, obviously, I'm sure women have directed war movies, but, uh, you know, typically they're, they're more male. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just David Ayer just seems so easy, you know, and I, and I guess that's – in Hollywood, that's what you want to do. Um, you want to do the safe choice, the choice that's going to make you money. I mean, that's why they're making these movies. But uh, I don't know about this one. Uh, we'll see if Lionsgate, you know, again, ends up even pulling the trigger. Uh, David Ayer also developing Bright 2 over at Netflix. So he has a full plate. Um, there was this indie movie that was announced late last night called Concrete Cowboys. It's going to be Idris Elba coming hot off his uh, villainous turn in Hobbs and Shaw. He's going to be working with Drell Jerome, 
who was really great in When They See Us. He got an Emmy nomination, and it's well-deserved. He was, you know, the breakout in Moonlight as well. Uh, A real up-and-comer there. But the star of this movie is going to be Caleb McLaughlin, who plays uh, Lucas on Stranger Things. Idris Elba is going to be playing his father. And it's like about a a young boy who sort of falls in with the urban cowboy culture in uh, in Philadelphia. And like this horsemanship institution, like a fellowship of people who are just into that horses and that culture. I don't know. Uh, I, I think we're sort of seeing that in the culture with the, with that song, that uh, Old Town Road song, which I just knew would be featured on the first episode of Hard Knocks. Um, and I can, you know, like, you just have to assume that it's going to be in the trailer. Like, that's the whole point of making this movie. It's a first-time filmmaker. Uh, apparently, Idris Elba was impressed with his short. I mean, I don't even know if this happens with, this movie happens without Idris Elba. Um, but yeah, the three of these guys working together, I think is pretty interesting. And it's, uh, again, I I like when Idris Elba goes off and does, uh, some indies because I mean, Hobbs and Shaw, I I liked it was fun, but I don't think it was like the greatest role for Idris Elba. He probably could have chosen like a better villain part in like a big tent pole. Um, yeah, dark tower, things like that. I don't know. I I think he's more interesting when uh, working in indies. Excuse me. Uh, Coming to America. Bunch of casting this week on Coming to America. We broke a few names ourselves, including Tiana Taylor, who uh, my girlfriend Stephanie makes me watch all kinds of music videos of. She's a big Tiana Taylor fan. Michael Blackson, a comedian. Uh, Mark Ellis uh, and Jay Washington are friends with him. And Louis Anderson, who's going to be reprising his role as Maurice, uh, the McDowell's employee from the first film. I don't know if poor Maurice will still be working at a McDowell's, you know, having moved up uh, from Fry's to wherever you go. (laughs) He gets the key to the meat locker or something. Um, I don't know what is up with uh, Maurice, but uh, he is back. And we got a bunch of other names. Leslie Jones is going to be in this movie. I was tracking that casting for a while. It it eluded me, the confirmation. But uh, she is going to be in this movie. And I think that she is going to be playing the mother of Eddie Murphy's love child, um, who's going to be played by Jermaine Fowler. Yeah, Leslie Jones' role was kept under wraps in the casting announcement. Uh, kept under wraps in the casting announcement, but uh, I'm pretty sure that she's going to be playing the mother of uh, of Eddie Murphy's daughter. Arsenio Hall is back, along with James Earl Jones and Paul Bates. Uh, and we're also getting Wesley Snipes. That should be fun. He just worked with uh, Eddie Murphy on My Na- Name is Dolomite, which I have heard is really good over at Netflix. Kiki Lane uh, from Beale Street is going to be in this movie. R- Rick Ross, rapper. And, uh, and also, I wonder if Eddie Murphy is going to be playing multiple roles in this movie. I've heard that he might be. He's obviously done it before in the Nutty Professor movies. Uh, there's just a role of a like general uh, who has like a neighboring country near Zamunda, and he wants to sort of seize power there, and so he's sort of the antagonist in this movie, I think, and I wonder if Eddie Murphy is going to be playing that himself, or if it's going to be Rick Ross, who looks like a pretty intimidating fella. Um, Coming to America was never really my jam. I was more of a Beverly Hills Cop 48 Hours guy than some of the uh, traditional uh, you know, big Eddie Murphy hits. So I don't know if I'll be checking that one out. It's got a tough release date in December. I wouldn't be surprised if they move that one up, especially if it's going before cameras now. Um, elsewhere. Oh, I wanted to talk about <laughs> – so, you know, I follow Jeff Wells every day on, uh, on his site. I don't follow him on Twitter anymore. Can't do the Twitter thing. But, uh, but I follow uh, Hollywood Elsewhere. It's one of my favorite blogs. And Wells put out his f- first best picture predictions. I wanted to run them down here. He's got The Irishman in the one slot, Marriage Story, 
Queen, uh, which is Noah Baumbach's film with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Queen and Slim, 1917, the Sam Mendes war movie. Judy, the Judy Garland movie starring Renee Zellweger. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Little Women, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, The Farewell, and Lighthouse. And I could have sworn that that image changed, by the way, <laughs> since the last time that I uh, since the last time that I saw that. I don't think that the Tarantino movie was on there before. But anyways, uh, he calls the Irishman. He says. It'll definitely be Best Picture nominated and that it's looking like the odds-on favorite to win. I would kind of be shocked if The Irishman won. Uh, I think that they already sort of did the the Scorsese thing with The Departed. Um, I don't know. I mean, Jeff also thinks that uh, Al Pacino has a real chance to win Supporting Actor. Uh, in this movie, De Niro is going to have uh, a lot of competition in the Best Actor category this year. I think The Irishman looks great. I can't wait to see it. I think it does look like a Best Picture nominee, but I don't know if I'd call it the front runner to win because I don't know what it's about uh, in, in the larger, like, big picture sense. Like, you know, uh, Green Book was about racism. It wasn't just about, like, a guy driving another guy in a car. It's about, uh, you know, healing that divide. Um, and I don't know if The Irishman has that kind of narrative to it. You know, I mean, from all from what I understand, this was just like a bad dude. And so he's going to be a tough character to root for uh, marriage story. I've heard that's really good, but I don't know. Like, Does a movie like that scream best picture to me or, or more indie spirit? You know, uh, I, I'm a big Noah Baumbach guy, but I have a hard time believing that Noah Baumbach's going to make a best picture winner. Queen and Slim is a really interesting choice. Love that trailer. I uh, think that that and Just Mercy have a real chance to win. 1917 looked absolutely fantastic. Judy, I don't know about that one. That seems like it could be a performance thing only. Once Upon a Time seems like a surefire nominee, but again, too divisive to actually win. Little Women, that'll be interesting. The the reports on that one have been mixed, that, that it, it's a little, little bit lopsided, one half's better than the other. Uh, I think the Tom Hanks movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, looks fantastic. Um, and there may, you know, that movie may benefit from a, the sentiment, uh, you know, that, you know, last year, Won't You Be My Neighbor was snubbed. So I wonder if, if that will, you know, that Mr. Rogers movie will sort of rally support. There's also The Farewell, which I think was absolutely terrific and that that will get in. And The Lighthouse, which seems very divisive. I don't see a black and white horror movie from the director of The Witch getting nominated for Best Picture. But that's just me. Um... Yeah, Just Mercy. I'm surprised didn't make it, but uh, Wells may have just overlooked that because of the uh, the recent release date switches. Elsewhere, how about this Movie Pass story? Have you guys seen this Movie Pass story from uh, Jason Garacio over on Bi- uh, Business Insider? It was incredible. It was the uh, I don't do must read of the day often, um, and it and the story took a little while to pick up steam. I think that because it was behind a paywall, people maybe had some trouble reading it. Um, but man. Movie Pass, and I've been saying this since basically the day I started at Collider. These guys are crooks. These guys are thieves, and they belong in jail. Um, this is I'm talking about Ted Farnsworth and and Mitch Lowe. Uh, I actually invested in Helios and Matheson or whatever. I, I got a hundred dollars worth of stock. Um, my my money is absolutely gone now, but that's besides the point. I never played the stocks. I did it just as sort of like a fun thing. It didn't pay off. I'm not upset about that. But it's like, man, they really did take investors for a ride. They lived these lives of largesse, according to the article. Uh, and they took your money as a consumer, and they didn't provide the service that they promised. They were changing people's passwords 
uh, like the high volume users, so that they could they were locked out of their accounts and, and the, things wouldn't work. I mean, forget you know like that a card that you paid for and so you know like there are terms of service and everything that are constantly changing. By the way, uh, and MoviePass gets to dictate that. But not only does that not work. But think of the time that you spend trying to get it to work and waiting on the phone for MoviePass uh, or, you know, emailing the company and, and not having that, you know, any intention of returning those emails. It's just – it's blatantly dishonest. And I think any company that hires Ted Farnsworth or Mitch Lowe in the future uh, should be investigated immediately because these guys are shady guys. Um, and, I, I mean, I just knew that, that MoviePass was always too good to be true. Um and man, what what just a sad story and, and and at least the theaters have sort of figured it out. Like MoviePass did sort of have to die so that these uh, theater chains could launch their own programs to to great success. From what I understand, I am actually not a pass member. I don't, I'm not paying. I mean, obviously, I see a lot of movies for free. Uh, so if I didn't see you know sixty, eighty, hundred movies a year for free, maybe I would buy one of these passes. Maybe it would make more sense. But for me personally, uh. I just I don't don't mess with that kind of stuff. There was a crazy theory this week floating around on Reddit, I suppose, about the OA and that Netflix's recent announcement that they are canceling uh, the OA after two seasons is all part of the show because at the end of season two, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, it's sort of revealed that uh, part of the show is taking place in this universe where the OA is a TV show created by Netflix. It was very bizarre. Didn't like the ending of season two. Not sure I was going to go on for a season three anyways. Still, it would be so cool if this actually ended up happening. Um, if this was part of the show, that I would really have to give it up to Netflix on that front, incorporating cancellations as to you know part of the marketing of the show and uh, the secrecy and everything. Um yeah, the OA. That what like I love that first season, and obviously we've got Brendan Meyer in the Schmodan League. I, I'll have to pump him for information the next time I see him. He's probably sworn to secrecy uh, by Britt Marling and Zal Batmanglish. Sp- speaking of whom, the Batman. That's what I call Zal. He probably doesn't like it, but he'll always be the Batman to me. Zal Batmanglish. I think uh, if he you know is no longer tied up with the OA, I hope that Marvel gives him a call because he is the kind of indie filmmaker who I would love to see them pursue i think he's really interesting i liked uh sound of my voice the movie that he made with brit before um yeah they're just an interesting you know group of pair of storytellers and i could actually see brit i don't know if i could see her as a comic book movie hero i don't know if she's a big enough star but she would do a damn good job maybe she'd be a good villain um let's talk about american crime story man Wow, what, what an announcement this week. The uh, the third season of American Crime Story, which is absolutely fantastic. If you have not watched The People vs. O.J. Simpson or The Assassination of Gianni Ver- Versace, which is really a show about Andrew Cunanan, get on that because those shows were both dynamite. They won, I don't know, what was it? I think they were nominated for like 41 Emmys and won 16 between them or something. Anyways, the third season is going to be called Impeachment, American Crime Story. It is uh, The People vs. William Jefferson Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton, and it's going to explore the the sex scandal between him and Monica Lewinsky. And God, what happened to Monica Lewinsky was horrible. I mean, she was turned into a national punchline overnight, all because she was seduced by the most powerful man in the world. 
Um, it was just a horrible experience, but she has really come out the other side uh, and survived it. And, you know, she, it's like a valuable learning experience for a lot of people. She is actually a producer on the show. So she wants them to she wants to help the team get it right. And I think it's great that uh, that she is involved because she does deserve to, to benefit after everything that she has been through. We are going to have Beanie Feldstein playing Monica Lewinsky, which is I do, I, like, I think Beanie's a really good actress. And I think I think she's pretty and I think Monica Lewinsky's pretty. And that's besides the point. Um, I just don't know if I see her as Monica. I guess it depends on the wig. She's a fantastic actress, Beanie. I really loved her in, in Booksmart. So congrats to her on this one. Sarah Paulson as Linda Tripp is even better. I think that's great. Um, not as familiar with Annalee Ashford's work, but she's going to be playing Paula Jones. Uh, these three women, it'll be fascinating to see who they cast as Bill and Hillary, obviously. I wonder if they could get John Travolta back. He sort of played Bill Clinton in Primary Colors and obviously worked with this team on People vs. O.J. Simpson. That would be really interesting. I love the the, uh, the uproar this week about uh, – the the timing of the show the, the show is going to going to debut next uh, September two months before the election so it'll be wrapping up around the time of the election and people were like up in arms saying this could swing things I mean God if an FX TV show can swing the election we've got bigger problems folks um, <laughs> uh, yeah I think that the timing is is coincidental normally this show does debut in January so I wonder if FX does end up moving it until after the election but I think that the election is sort of will will itself stoke interest in this series um, I just don't think it's going to have any impact on the actual election that's a, a preposterous idea um, elsewhere this week Disney Plus announced it's remaking a bunch of Fox uh, family-friendly Fox movies including Home Alone Night at the Museum Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Cheaper by the Dozen these some of these will be you know remakes. Some will be reimaginings. They'll sort of take the title and, and do something new with it. Uh, I think Cheaper by the Dozen is actually an interesting opportunity for them. Uh, you know, could really make that movie very diverse and, and have fun with the premise. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I didn't see any of those movies. Uh, yeah, it makes sense for a Disney Plus series, I suppose. Uh, Night at the Museum. I stopped seeing those movies after the first one. But obviously, you know, a great idea for Disney to remake that. I think that's, uh, you know, a, a very viable franchise over at Fox. And the stuff that Fox, that Disney sort of inherited from Fox hasn't really been working. Uh, you know, they have, I think I saw today that they have $400 million worth of Fox movies sitting on the shelf over there. And it's probably going to drag down their earnings for the next year, year and a half as they sort of uh, release those movies. But Night of the Museums, you know, should be the kind of movie that could draw young eyeballs to the Disney Plus service. And then there's the Home Alone remake, which is the only one I'd sort of, you know, sort of heard about while it was at Fox. I don't know if Disney Plus is going to do its own thing or whether they're going to sort of work off the project that Fox had been developing. But my understanding of it was that this time around, rather than a kid defending his home from a couple of burglars, I mean, it, it is that, but the kid himself is no angel and the burglars have a legitimate motivation. Uh, so I've heard that it's about a married couple, uh, one of whom may be played by Melissa McCarthy. I mean, she's playing Ursula in Disney's Little Mermaid. I think Disney would love to be in the Melissa McCarthy business. Um, and, you know, the the idea of playing the mom in Home, Home Alone, so to speak, even though this is a twist on that, it's a good part for her. 
But uh, so I hear it's about this married couple who basically go to war with a young boy across the street who has stolen something from them. So now they have to get inside the house because they want to get what he stole back. In in Home Alone, you have the Wet Bandits, one of the greatest uh, <laughs> villains in movie history, or two of the greatest uh, movie villains. Um, they they see the McAllister house as the silver tuna, but there's no real like you know after being put through hell by this kid, why do they insist on breaking in? Like why why do they have to keep it up? Like there's nothing inside that they even necessarily have their eye on. It's just an, a nice house where they think that they can score. Um, but and so I, I like the motivation more in this case because this couple has to get that one thing back. It's almost a little uh, wait until darkish, which was like about a whole group of guys conning a blind woman to try to get this doll back that's stuffed with drugs. Um, elsewhere, Ben Affleck's The Way Back got pushed. It is now going to release. Uh, it was going to open in October, but there was no trailer. People were w- wondering what was going on. It's now going to open next March. And Warner Brothers plans to promote it around uh, the NCAA March Madness Tournament, which makes sense. It also lines up that uh, that Warner Brothers has a ton of dramas this fall. They are really the studio that is keeping the, 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 drama, the drama genre in business. They've got The Goldfinch uh, with Ansel Elgort, Motherless Brooklyn. Those are both based on huge books. Motherless Brooklyn is with uh, Ed Norton as like a detective with Tourette's. The Good Liar, which looks absolutely fantastic with Bill Condon and Helen Mirren. And then Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Those are four top-notch dramas, I would say. Uh, I don't know you know, which one Warner Brothers sees as the awards contender there or if you know, there's multiple. Um, Warner Brothers may even end up releasing Clint Eastwood's Richard Jewell. I mean, we've seen Clint doesn't really like to have his movies sitting around for a while waiting for the right release date. He makes them and then he wants them out there. Uh, and he has been busy filming Richard Jewell. I think it started production a few weeks before, like when the mule started production and the mule was able to get out by uh, early December. So we could end up seeing Richard Jewell. I, I hope so. But Warner Brothers has a very, just jam-packed fall slate. In addition to all those dramas, they also have gigantic movies like It Chapter 2, The Joker movie, which I hear is, you know, really good, and Doctor Sleep. Um, so, yeah, they're, they that whole – their marketing teams, publicity teams are going to have their hands full. It's a crowded end of the year for Warner Brothers. Um, speaking about Joker, I just wanted to say, like – Man, it seems like festival directors are just tripping over themselves to praise this movie. It's just – it's so brilliant. And listen, that may be so, but I don't understand you know, the bloggers picking up these quotes because these festival directors are invested in hyping their choices. Uh, I mean some of them are ta- – you know, like Kent Jones uh, sometimes. It's like they take it as an opportunity to like review these movies or be the first voice, the, the first word on these movies – that, listen, these festival directors think every movie in the lineup is good. If they didn't think it was good, they wouldn't have programmed uh, a film or it wouldn't have gotten past the programmer. Um, so it's like, you know, until a festival programmer is honest and he's like, listen, this movie's great, but this other movie in our lineup, eh, it's, it, it's, not, it's nothing special. You could probably skip it. Until I hear that, I'm not putting a lot of stock in the movies that uh, festival directors are, are ooing and aahing about. I've certainly heard uh, – Plenty of that over the years, and only to see you know movies fall flat on their faces at at festivals. Um, so t- you know, take all that reporting with a grain of salt. Take all these script reports with a grain of salt. Again, I, I wanted to explain my tweet from earlier in the week. Like, I'm sure, the, the, like the script is the script, and I'm sure it's not like 
Todd Phillips turned in a script uh, and Warner Brothers greenlit it, and then Todd Phillips turned in a completely different movie. Like, I don't think I was trying to suggest that. Just that I've heard very credible reports that the the script was rewritten every morning, basically, on set, which isn't an entirely uncommon thing on big movies, you know? It's like, why wouldn't you be writing up until the very last second when you have to shoot? Um, But, uh, so, you know, I don't think the changes were anything major, but you can't just discount those reports from set. Uh, Zazie Beetz has echoed those, saying you know that the that the script was constantly being re- rewritten on the fly. Uh, so I think that the movie looks awesome. I can't wait to see the movie. I think it's special. You know what Todd Phillips has done. Whether it's you know irresponsible is another question, uh, according to what I, I've heard. But uh, but I am looking forward to it. All I'm saying is. You know, you can read a script. A great script doesn't mean it's going to be a great movie and, and vice versa as well. Um, speaking of Ben Affleck, though, by the way, uh, you're, you're still going to see plenty of him this fall. He still has that D. Rees Netflix movie, The Last Thing He Wanted with Anne Hathaway. And he's going to be in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which I can't wait for. I was, I'm a huge fan of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Big Kevin Smith guy. Hated his last movie, Yoga Hosers. But I, I am a loyal fan, and I will be there uh, for this one. Um, elsewhere, Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick signed on to this indie movie, Black Nightshade. And I didn't mean to throw shade at this movie. Uh, and, you know, he's got to work. It's described as a supernatural psychological noir thriller, which, you know, you can tell right off the bat is not going to be good because they can't even figure out what kind of movie this is. It's just a bunch of different uh, genres, basically. Um, But Jason Patrick, man, what a great actor. And I wish that he would get cast more in bigger things. I mean, I I understand he has a bit of a reputation. And, you know, I I tweeted something this week that I I wish he got – you know, casting like can't Blumhouse do something for this guy? Can't Kevin Feige find a role for him in the MCU? Something like that. And someone was like, "Eh, he's kind of a dick." Um, and listen, that that may very well be true, but uh, there are a lot of dicks in Hollywood, and this guy is talented, and he deserves better, that, I think, than this movie Black Nightshade. So, so hopefully, somebody throws him a, a bone. Uh, he, I think, he'd even be good on TV as like a you know a really gritty cop series or something like that um uh, speaking of gritty series fx doing a docuseries on the most dangerous animal of all which is gary l stewart's book in which he poses the theory that his father was the zodiac killer this is one of my favorite true crime books i read it years ago i thought it was fascinating he lays out some pretty uh, convincing arguments for how why how and why his father could have been the Zodiac Killer. Again, the Zodiac Killer was never caught, never uh, officially identified, uh, and some people think he's still out there. So I think this uh, series is going to to be a hit. I think there's going to be a lot of interest. People are, are loving this kind of stuff. Uh, Ted Bundy, you know, they, they ate up the Bundy tapes and then the Zac Efron movie. So uh, Zodiac may be the, the next thing. Of course, we'll always have David Fincher's uh, a masterpiece, and, and I think that's why Zodiac will probably never be on Mindhunter, unfortunately. It's kind of been there, done that for uh, for D. Finch. Um, I wanted to plug our Hard Knocks recap real quickly. If you guys are a fan of HBO's Hard Knocks, they are doing it with the Raiders this year. Uh, John Gruden is the coach of that team. I got pulled into Mark Fernandez's podcast earlier this week. It, I had We had an absolute blast. We're going to come and do it next week. So tune in uh, to that on Collider Sports. Um, and, you know, for the rest of the episode, I kind of just want to talk about the movies that I've seen and the trailers that I'm watching and, and that kind of stuff. But before we get into that good stuff... I will uh, unleash the rumor of the week on you guys. So I've been making some inquiries uh, to MGM. 
to agencies just around about Creed 3. Um, because Creed 3 strikes me as an inevitability. I mean, the first film grossed $173 million worldwide. The second film, even though it didn't really like hit the culture like the first movie did, I think that Creed Two is maybe seen as a little underwhelming as a movie for you know by just you know audiences or whatever. Made two hundred fourteen million dollars worldwide. It went up, it went up you know forty million or whatever, and the budget went up uh, fifteen or so. But that's that that's commensurate. Uh, so Creed Two is a nice little money earner for MGM. You don't just stop, particularly MGM. You don't just stop uh, franchises dead in their tracks when they're making you money. So I think that Creed Three is in the works. That's what I'm hearing, and what I'm hearing specifically is that Ryan Coogler's brother, Keenan Coogler, may in fact be writing Creed Three. Now, nobody would comment on this. Everybody's sort of passing the buck saying, eh, ask them, eh, ask them. But you know what? I think whether, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think that Ryan Coogler is probably way too busy prepping uh, Black Panther 2 to, uh, you know, to, write, to write this movie. But who would he trust more in the entire world? than to continue the story of these characters than his very own brother, Keenan Coogler. It's the same way you know Donald Glover uh, writes with his brother, Stephen Glover, over on Atlanta. I think that uh, I would not be surprised if there was an announcement sometime soon that Keenan Coogler will be writing Creed Three. Either way, I know MGM wants to do it. I think Michael B. Jordan is down to do it uh, because uh, you know I think this is going to end up being a trilogy. It'd be weird if it was just two movies, right? Um, so that's the rumor of the week. You tune in next week for yet another rumor that will probably get me in hot water with the studio. But you know what? Guys got to do something. Um, trailers and TV shows and movies. Let's talk. I saw this trailer. It's called Give Me Liberty. It's a very little indie movie. Uh, I saw it over on the playlist, which is you know one of my favorite sites to read each morning. It involves like a Russian van driver or something and a girl with ALS, and he's running and driving her around and driving all these old people around. It looked very cute, very interesting. Check out that trailer because I, I, I bet you probably have not seen it yet. Uh, there was a trailer for A Million Little Pieces, the Sam Taylor Johnson movie starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, her husband, um, that played TIFF last year and then kind of just never got acquired and it was forgotten about. Well, I guess it's coming out. It is based on the, the James Frey uh, memoir that turned out to be a bunch of BS, uh, allegedly or reportedly. I don't know. Um, and I'm excited to see that one. I'll see pretty much anything Aaron Taylor Johnson is in. I don't think the trailer was great or anything. But uh, I don't know. I, I like those kinds of stories. Beautiful Boy last year was one of my favorite films. Uh, I like Boy Race. I don't know. I, like, I know Boy Race isn't an addiction movie, but uh, A Million Little Pieces looks interesting. I also dug the trailer for Beck and Wood's Haunt. Uh, they are directing that one. Those guys wrote A Quiet Place. I've had my eye on them for a while. Haunt just looks like a crazy haunted house movie. I think Eli Roth is involved in this one uh, as a producer. Yeah, um, um, it, it looked like a blast. I think it's playing at a, a festival. It may have played last night. It'll be like on VOD in early September or whatever. Uh, but I, I love watching I, – I love those sorts of VOD releases, the IFC Midnight stuff that you get to rent on Thursday night at midnight as soon as it becomes available or 9 p.m. or whatever. Uh, yeah, Haunt looks like a lot of fun. I have been watching two TV shows, uh, finished them both or you know most of, uh, of, of the second one. I watched The Boys on Amazon. The Boys is terrific. My God, 
that is a uh, awesome show, and I wasn't sure if I was going to like it at first. Um, you know, I'm not a, the biggest comic book kind of guy. I'm not that big on superheroes, but this is a really unique take, and, and, and it's interesting, and it's violent, and it's gritty, and it's mean. I mean, there's a scene on a plane where these superheroes basically leave a plane full of passengers to die. Uh, that's just really dark, and so it appealed to my my sensibilities a lot. I can't wait for a second season. Um, I think that that people are really going to find that show over the next year, and, and season two is going to be like a big streaming event for Amazon. Um, and well, you know, while we're talking about Amazon, I saw Britney runs a marathon this week. That movie was terrific. Jillian Bell. I didn't even know she was capable of a performance like this. She was really wonderful. It plays like a, it plays like a female Rocky in a sense. Uh, speaking of Creed, um, it's just it's it's so relatable. You know, you see a movie like Free Solo, right? And and uh, that guy Alex is is up there and and he's like climbing without a rope and it's incredible and, and your jaw is on the floor, but you know you're never gonna do that. And in Britney Runs a Marathon, you, we all know we have it within us to take a few steps. Uh, we, and it's all about running that first block, and it's not about, you know, uh, winning the race, but it's just about finishing the race. And and it was just a really beautiful movie. You know, halfway through, I wasn't I wasn't loving it. I liked it, but I wasn't loving it. Uh, I I probably preferred late night. But the second half of this movie really turns on the waterworks. I was sobbing. Uh, there were there were really two points in, in that I was sobbing. Obviously, the climax is is very emotional. But uh, there's this great scene with this actress, Sarah Bolt, um, that just really hit me. I, I've always had a soft spot for, I suppose, the the overweight. I mean, I struggle with my weight. My my kid brother uh, was a big kid growing up, and I used to call him the chub. And, and this movie made me really really feel bad about uh, fat shaming my brother. I mean, my brother took, you know, uh, the merciless teasing that my brother and I and our friends gave him. Uh, and and he transformed himself uh, in high school and ended up playing high school football and, and hit that weight room and you know was easily the most jacked out of all the Snyder boys. But he was like a closet eater who would hide chocolate bars you know under the under his pillow or all over uh, the bedroom. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just I guess I struggle with with you know my own willpower. Um, and impulsiveness, and uh, Brittany runs a marathon. It doesn't matter what that is, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol or drugs or you know anything. I think it really um, had a great message about taking responsibility for yourself. And uh, yeah, Jillian Bell, absolutely fantastic. So between Brittany runs a marathon and Late Night, and then the, the trailer for Honey Boy came out this week. That is uh, Alma Harrell's movie. With Shia LaBeouf. It's about Shia LaBeouf's childhood, and he wrote it, and he plays his own father, and Lucas Hedges and Noah Jupe from A Quiet Place. Man, the whole episode is interconnected today. Uh, they play younger versions uh, of, uh, of Shia LaBeouf, essentially. And, God, that trailer knocked me out. It looks fantastic. Uh, wouldn't it be incredible if like Shia LaBeouf landed a an Oscar nomination, or even if that movie landed a uh, a writing or directing or best picture nomination? The point is that Amazon, these movies aren't necessarily working at the box office. I, I wonder, I don't know what Britney Runs a Marathon is tracking for. They bought it for like 13 or 14 million. Same with Late Night, same with The Report. Honey Boy, I think, only cost them five. Late Night obviously didn't work. 
But uh, but these movies are good, and Amazon has good taste, and they just have to figure out how to market these movies because it's like if you can't market them, then why buy them? Part of the, the what they would say is you know this is really for Prime Video customers, um, but I don't know if it's like I don't know if Late Night is even available on Prime yet. Like I've been checking for it. Britney Runs a Marathon is getting a traditional wide release, so. Uh, that will you know take a few months. I think something like the report is going to be streaming, and, and the aeronauts will be streaming a few weeks after uh, they hit theaters. So I mean, it's kind of like there's no rhyme or reason to it. But I like the movies that Amazon is buying. I'm glad somebody's buying them. I'm glad that these filmmakers are, are you know getting good good deals for their movies as well. Um, elsewhere. God, what are these other movies that I've seen this week? I've seen so much. The Nightingale. That's out in theaters. That's Jennifer Kent's movie. It is absolutely brutal. I think that there's five rapes in the movie. There's like three rapes in the first ten minutes. It's, it's insane. Uh, one of the best movies I've seen all year for sure. But I think it – I agree with Jeff Wells that it sort of fumbles a bit at the end. Like that could have been a stone-cold masterpiece. I didn't love the end, but the the rest of that movie is so good. I, it's one of like three films I've given three and a half stars I think this year. Uh, Blinded by the Light, that is coming out I think next weekend. Uh, so just wanted to get ahead of that one. That is the Bruce Springsteen movie about a, a Pakistani teen in London who, who falls for the music of Bruce Springsteen and it sort of opens up his own life and, and helps him stand up to his father. It's a really good father-son movie. Uh, it, star- it co-stars the kid who's in 1917. Um, I, I, like I saw that at CinemaCon and was you know delighted by it. So the, keep an eye out for that one. The Peanut Butter Falcon, that is out this weekend. That's another Shia LaBeouf movie. Uh, he's paired with this kid, Zach Gottsgagen, who has Down syndrome. I think the directors sort of saw him uh, – and they realized they could, you know, craft a movie around him and that he could carry it. And he was totally up to the challenge. Him and Shia are great as they travel down the Delta. They uh, they link, link up with uh, Dakota Johnson. It's a really, really sweet movie, a special movie. I'd encourage everybody to go and see that. Um, HBO. If you guys have missed the HBO stuff lately, share Pippa Bianco's movie uh, that was made by A24 and then sold to HBO. That's one of the best movies I've seen all year. I reviewed that for the site, gave it an A-, so check out that review and check out Share on HBO. And also check out Erin Lee Carr's documentary, I Love You, Now Die. She's the David Carr's daughter. I, I am uh, you know, still reading her memoir. She directed the Cannibal Cop documentary, Thought Crimes, which is fantastic. It it's, might even be a little bit better than I Love You Now Die, but I Love You Now Die is about uh, the case in Massachusetts where the girl, the teenage girl, was texting her boyfriend, encouraging him to commit suicide, which he ultimately did. He was like asphyxiating himself in the car, and he got out because he was afraid, and she said, you know, get back in there and, and you know, do it, be a man. And he did, and, and, he, and he tragically died. That case is absolutely fascinating. That's one of the better films I've seen uh, of late. Good Boys coming out next weekend. We may have some people from that film uh guesting on the Snyder Cut next week fingers crossed it was absolutely hilarious uh one of the funniest films I've seen in a while probably the funniest film of the year 
got to check my records on that one. Um, but it was so good that I even named my fantasy team in the Collider Fantasy Football League after the kids in the movie, and uh, that's why I went with the name The Beanbag Boys. So good luck to Cody Hall and everybody else in the league, John Roca, who is participating this year, because The Beanbag Boys are coming for you. Elsewhere, I saw Piranhas and Them That Follow last night. I watched those, those screeners. Piranhas is a foreign film about... Uh, you know, teenage gangsters, you know, it was, it's okay. I think it's going to be playing at some of the local art houses around uh, L.A. Them That Follow is a, it was a bit better. Uh, that's with Alice Englert and her father, Walton Goggins, and he's a preacher, and he uses snakes to sort of cleanse his, the, the sinners in his congregation. Uh, Thomas Mann co-stars. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting indie. Olivia Coleman's in there. It's like, you know, set, I think it's in like the Appalachian Mountains or something. Um, good, good atmosphere. A bit of a slow burn, but I, 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 you know, the end redeemed it. So keep an eye out for that indie. And then finally, scary stories to tell in the dark. I saw that one with Perry uh, a week ago. It was a weird one. It, uh, I liked all like the the, the kill scenes, so to speak, um, like the action scenes. I thought they were pretty good. I liked Harold the Scarecrow. Uh, I like the 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 doughy entity, um, and and even like the 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 missing toe creature thing or whatever. But the problem is that the the rest of the movie is not good. It's about like this you know this Emily Bellows, Sarah Bellows or whatever, and she's like uh, you know locked up and she's writing in, in this book and the stories are writing themselves and it's just like this weird sort of framing device. It's set in 1968 for no discernible reason. Like the 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 year and everything happening in the country doesn't really play into things so much besides like the weird racism that's in the movie. Uh, I just don't see why this film was set in 1968, and I think that it gets way off track with all the the Cerebellos stuff. Um, but you know, if if you grew up reading those books, it might be worth checking out just because you know there are some good scenes. That you, you're getting what you you know what you're paying for, and I think you get what you pay for uh, on that one. Um, I think that'll probably do it this week. I don't know what else there really is to talk about. Um, this has been the Snyder Cut. You can find us now on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Collider Weekly. That's where the Snyder Cut is hiding. Uh, new episodes will be posting every Friday afternoon. I tape them on Friday mornings. I think I'm going to try to get some some guests lined up here. Uh, if there's anybody that you want to see on the podcast, by the way, let me know. And let me just check real quick if you guys did uh, anything on the mailbag. Hold on. Okay, you did. All right, I got a few minutes left here. It's not quite noon. I'm not out of my my time yet, so I'll answer a few questions. What do I think the future holds for theater chains with all these subscription services popping up? That's from Cinema Stud. I mean, I want to believe that the theaters will always exist. I think that theaters are special. I think that people need to get out of their house and, and, you know, Kids need to go out with their friends and couples need to go on date nights. And I don't know if that will ever go away. Um, cause it's just, it's not the same. It is getting crazy expensive. The price of tickets in a city like, you know, New York or Los Angeles is absurd on its face. Uh, people want to know who is Idris Elba playing in Suicide Squad? Uh, I don't know about that. Possibly Deathstroke. I don't know. Uh, is WB going to announce a DC Elseworlds type label for Joker? I have no idea. I mean, they, they should. I, I don't know why. Wasn't it DC Dark? I don't know what DC Elseworlds is. 
Uh, I assume that's a comic book thing. Look, they're, they're all comic book questions. It's like, guys, this is the Snyder Cut. Ask me some industry questions. Is Reeves Batman going to be a prequel to the current DCU? I have no idea. Uh, has Andy Machete closed his deal to direct The Flash? I have no idea. Any rumors on the original horror film James Wan will be directing? I have no idea. Tron 3, no idea. Why is everything so secretive in Hollywood from casting to plot summary to budget? Why isn't there more transparency? That's a good question. I, I think that a lot of that simply has to do with competing projects. Uh, I know that as a reporter, that's what people are, are paranoid about. They're, they don't want the logline out there because then somebody else may have a project with a similar logline and they may try to speed things up to try to beat this other project or they may try to get their hands on the script now that they know there's another project and, and sort of I don't know. I'm just, uh, yeah, the, the, believe me, I wish things were less secretive, but if they were, you know, I may not have a job. My job is to reveal secrets, so if there weren't any secrets, what would I do? Uh, one of my early picks for most major Oscar categories, and when will Collider coverage of the Oscar season start? I think you'll see it start closer to Toronto. Uh, hopefully I get to do the show with uh, Scott Manson, Perry Nemiroff. It'd be great to to get FYC back each week, what happened to the Link Ladder directed Bill Hicks biopic, and who would I play? Uh, who would I pick to play Bill Hicks? Um, this person suggests uh, Dusty Arr. Suggests Paul Dano or Adam Driver. Uh, you know what? I'm a big stand-up comedy guy. I'm not a big Bill Hicks guy, so I don't really care either way. But both of those would actually be interesting calls. Uh, since Roman Polanski and Woody Allen have been able to work all these years with their respective controversies, does that mean Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer will eventually be forgiven too? Again, it's all about financing, guys. Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, they have their own uh, access to their own financing. Um, so, you know, you would think Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer, they have millions of dollars of their own, uh, unless they've spent it all on legal fees in the last couple of years. Um, they could always finance their own things, you know, uh, and people, you know, want to work. Um, I, I was kind of stunned this week with the Harvey Weinstein stuff that he's trying to travel overseas to work with people on like a, a maybe a stage retelling of Cinema Paradiso. And, you know, the judge isn't allowing to, him to. But the point for me was that the people making this uh, stage adaptation, the different production designers, costume designers, etc., they were all you know willing to meet with him. And uh, like I said, that's just the reality of life. People want to work, and, and they'll go where the money is. And if Brian Singer is financing a $5 million indie, that's probably where they'll go, unfortunately. Um, what am I hearing about the release of Judy with Renee Zellweger? I'm not really hearing much. I'm not – again, I didn't grow up with Judy Garland. I don't really – much care about this movie. It's a movie I feel like I, I have to see because Renee Zellweger is supposed to be very good in it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's like Bobby, as Gross says, it'll probably disappear. Uh, um, you know, out, outside of her performance, it'll probably go the way of, of Stan and Ollie. Do I think there's any danger to the industry, art form, or general culture that comes with superhero movies dominating Hollywood? Yes. And I think that even the people making superhero movies would admit that. Any Halloween casting news? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, do I think there's a chance we could see both Robert Downey Jr. and Joaquin Phoenix nominated for their respective comic book roles? I suppose it's possible. I mean, I don't really think that Robert Downey Jr. deserves a nomination. Uh, if it if it is, it would really be a you know for for the entirety of his role in the MCU. I don't think that that performance, that individual performance in Endgame, was anything special. But you never know. Uh, he was nominated for Tropic Thunder. Uh, he does have the respect of his peers. Listen, Johnny Depp was nominated for Best Actor for Pirates of the Caribbean, so uh, I wouldn't put anything past this Academy. But it is going to be a competitive year. Um, I have the number one overall draft pick in my fantasy league. Should I pick McCaffrey or Sa Saquon Barkley? 
Oh, man. Tough call. I, I got to go. I don't know. I, I'd probably go Saquon. Um, <laughs> thoughts on the TIFF lineup and under-the-radar movies you're keeping an eye on? Not really uh, keeping an eye too much on, on TIFF, unfortunately. I don't think I'm going to be going this year. Um, yeah, take that up with management. The Snyder Cut. Is there anything bubbling with the Force adaptation? Who would I like to see play Denny Malone? Uh... I don't know what the deal is with the Force. I hope that that's not one of the projects that that Disney decided to scrap development on. James, they're you know they're putting out James Mangold's next movie. He's supposed to do the Force after that. Um, I remember Kroll and I talking about maybe like Justin Theroux as Denny Malone. Uh, I don't know if it. I don't know if it's like the type of thing where you get a big star or you get like a good like like you you surround a kind of. I don't. I don't know where I'm going with that one, but Justin Theroux is kind of who I think I was picturing uh, for Denny Malone. When Leo was rumored for Nightmare Alley, it was said he turned down a PTA script. Any chance that's back in the fold now that Cooper's replaced Leo? Uh, what would I like to see PTA do next? Um, I, I let PTA make his own decisions. I, I'm not going to presume to tell PTA what to do. I have not heard what that script is about, though. Uh, I've heard he may be casting a, a young uh, biracial lead. You know, someone along the lines of like a Helena Howard in uh, from Madeline's Madeline. Um, but I, I don't know that it's her. I, I just think that he's looking for a young uh, bi- biracial lead. Um, yeah, that that will do it. Those are all the questions that I have from Mailbag. We have, in fact, reached noon. That brings the end of my 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. slot to a close. You'll hear this in about a two, three hours. We'll see how quickly we can turn it around. Folks, thank you for listening to The Snyder Cut. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Cameo, and at The Insnyder. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, all those good places you can find podcasts. And remember to tune in to the Hard Knocks Recap, Episode 2, next Wednesday morning with Mark Fernandez. Have a great weekend, folks. I'm off to Palm Springs. Stay little chico, Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.